Yeah, um, I'm, just, uh, I'm getting the grips of the, all the new stuff in it right now, adjusting it and everything. I stopped at a place and... and okay, um... Let's say uh, hello and uh, welcome everybody to uh, the next session of uh, the Silmarillion Book Club, the Casual Book Club, uh, Estelle Pod, uh, number 12. Um, it's been a while, um, we've all been busy doing the raids and work and whatnot. Um, hi Michi and hi Raldis and hi um, uh, everybody else who's uh, joining us uh, in the podcast. Say hi. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Hey Ollie. Uh, yeah. Before I go, I'm around to chat. But uh, did you see that the uh, Lord of the Rings TV show will be uh, set in a second? I did see it on Facebook, and I'm uh, super excited that if they are gonna cover Numenor and all that stuff because like yeah we're gonna be moving into the Numenor uh, soon enough in this uh, podcast series as well but yeah if uh, if they do that then just wow that'll deadly like everybody's dream the uh, Silmarillion TV show and if they okay they're not gonna do the first stage or but if they're gonna just do the second stage then that's way more than <laughs> many of us had thought that was possible yeah, I, I'm pretty stoked personally. But yeah, I'll talk yeah. to you guys later. All right. I, uh, yeah, go. I'll we'll we'll catch you later. Thanks uh, for dropping by. Um, hey, Kesadia, we have your mic muted. Um, I was hoping to uh, drag somebody else in here with us, but uh, I think it's gonna be just uh, me and you again, Michi, like always. I know, right? Same old voices, but it's fine. The history of the Silmarillions, Quinta Silmarillion, Chapter 7 of the Silmarils and the Unrest of the Noldor, Part 2. Because uh, we dropped that uh, that chapter, we divided that into two parts. Because uh, I, I don't know why I did it. I think I was just lazy. That's why I did it. See, I'm admitting it. But here you go. Bef Without further ado, then there was great unrest in Tyrion, and Finwë was troubled, and he summoned all his lords to council. But Thingolfin hastened to his halls and stood before him, saying, "King and father, will thou not restrain the pride of our brother, Kuru Finwë?" who is called the spirit of fire, all too truly. By what right does he speak for all of our people, as if he were a king? Thou it was who long ago spoke before the Quendi, bidding them accept the summons of the Valar to Aman. Thou it was that led the Noldor upon the long road through the perils of Middle-earth to the light of Eldamar. If thou dost not now repent of it, two sons at least thou hast to honor thy words. Woo! Right from the start, I uh, think we are 
it's just so amazing of the Silmarillion that every time you read it, you immediately get all the flashbacks of where you were you were at at the at the story. It's just amazing. I'm not gonna so. Before I get into the explanation of this uh, passage, I do want to preface it by saying that uh, I have been kind of slacking in uh, these podcasts and I shouldn't be because um, not like Lord of the Rings story and the Hobbit story are really, really great and they are perfect in uh, how it was written by Tolkien. But um, something about the Silmarillion is just a whole different vibe, a whole different level kind of uh, thing and uh, by someone who's aware of the story of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit uh, if they read the Silmarillion afterwards uh, they can just uh, see so many different points where uh, you see the, the foreshadowing and everything because uh, um, not many people know but uh, the Silmarillion is not a prequel. Uh, you know, like many people even have hard time um, since the movies of The Hobbit came out after the movies of The Lord of the Rings. Uh, many people uh, have this false assumption that Hobbit is a prequel to The Lord of the Rings. It it wasn't. Um, a prequel is something that is written after the main text. So, um, you write a story and then you write something else as a uh, something that happens before the story that you wrote, then that's the prequel. That's not the true. The Lord of the Rings is the sequel of The Hobbit. The Hobbit is not a prequel to The Lord of the Rings. The Hobbit was written before The Lord of the Rings. It's not, it's an original text and that came after. Same goes for the Silmarillion in the way that the Silmarillion were the early, early stories of Tolkien who was writing this in his youth, in his early teens, in his 20s, before he even began The Hobbit. So the Silmarillion is not a prequel, it's the original uh, which was written before The Lord of the Rings and before The Hobbit. These are his early, early visions of a thought and all he did later was try to connect those, uh, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings to the greater story of the Silmarillion. I just wanted to say that before I got into um, this passage. What do you think about that, Michi? I appreciate the additional explanations that I might not have looked into myself. Yeah, I, I, as you're saying, I never really thought of the Silmarillion. Yeah, because like uh, the, the movies of the Hobbits came out afterwards, and many people, I like even in the internet, and me talking to many people, I was like, yeah, the Hobbit is a prequel, and and that's just not true. The Hobbit is not a prequel. The Hobbit is the original text he wrote for his kids uh, when he had kids, and uh, the Lord of the Rings is a sequel, uh, which was only connected to the Hobbit. Via he thought of a way to connect the Lord of the Rings story to the Hobbit via the um, the Ring and Gollum. Okay, let's go into it. So, um, where we are at the story right now in the Silmarillion. Um, so after Feanor starts to openly rebel against the Valar, obviously his brothers are not aboard with it and. 
maybe many of the other Noldor aren't either. Uh, we don't really know that because uh, only people who are talking are just the protagonist and not like the rest of the Noldor, uh, Noldor and what the rest of the um, people's thoughts were. But they're like, hey dude, you don't speak for for us. You're not our king. So there's unrest in Tyrion. Tyrion, as you know, is, was the place where the Noldor were settling um, at that time. Um, remember, Tyrion upon Tuna is where the Noldor dwell. Um, the Vanyar, on the other hand, dwell at the foot of Tani Quetel. Uh, while the Teleri, on the other hand, just to get everybody sorted, like where all the factions of the Elves are at. So. Noldor at Tenic, um, at Tyrion, um, Vanyar, the high, high, high elves, at the bottom, at the feet of uh, um, uh, Teniquitil, which is the mountain where Manuel lives, and uh, the Teleri, on the other hand, are in Tol Eresea. So seeing all these rumors and rebellion and unrest, Finve, who is the king of the Noldor, he calls his lords. Uh, he calls his lords um, uh, to council to try to resolve this. Remember that Fenve uh, absolutely loves Fëanor. Uh, Misha, remember that when like Fëanor's mother died, mm-hmm. all that love that his father had for his mother just all went to this only son that he had with the. Uh, uh, um, with uh, that woman, yes. so uh, Feanor is the most beloved of um, of uh, of Fenebe, without a doubt. Like nothing against his other two sons, who are pretty awesome indeed. Uh, but Feanor is it that who receives the bulk of the love that uh, that his father has uh, towards a son. Um, uh, that he had for his wife all got poured into Fëanor. Fëanor is the last thing her wife gave to him before she passed away. Um, passed away in the sense, passed to the halls of Mandos. So Fingolfin, who is a son of Finway uh, from his second wife, uh, was a Vanyar. Uh, he comes before his father and asks him, like, are you king? If so, then why is our brother speaking as if he is the king and also reminding Finway that it was indeed Finway who convinced the Noldor in the first place to answer the summons of the Valar, answer the summons of Orome when Orome went to seek the elves to try to find them and he called and then he could selected three uh, leaders of the kings of the elves. Finway, Ingway, and um, Elway, and Finway was the one who answered the call. So it was indeed Finway who convinced the Noldor to answer the summons of Valar and come here in the first place. Um, so uh, that's what the his son from his uh, second wife are demanding here. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> in a way. Okay, Michi, you take the next one. But even as Fingolfin spoke, Feanor strode into the chamber, and he was fully armed. His high helm upon his head, and at his side a mighty sword. 
So it is, even as I guessed, he said. My half-brother would be before me with my father, in this as in all other matters. Then turning upon Fingolfin, he drew his sword, crying, Get thee gone, and take thy due place. Fingolfin bowed before Finway, and without word or glance to Feanor, he went from the chamber. But Feanor followed him, and at the door of the king's house he stayed him, and the point of his bright sword he set against Fingolfin's breast. See, half-brother, he said, this is sharper than thy tongue. Try but once more to usurp my place and the love of my father, and maybe it will rid the Noldor of one who seeks to be the master of thralls. These words were heard by many, for the house of Finway was in the great square beneath the Minden. But again Fingolfin made no answer, and passing through the throng in silence, he went to seek Finarfin, his brother. Well. Wow. Fool <laughs> is right. Like, holy crap. I totally, Fionor is a, is a troubled person. Um, so remember Fionor and his sons started making weapons once they gave into the rumor of Melkor about the Valar. And on top of it, he is uh, the one who believes that Fingolfin wants to become king. Um, well, the dude came prepared, and when he softened Golfin before the king, it only solidified his suspicions about the rumor, because, you know, like, Melkor had been telling rumors that if Golfin just wants to overthrow you uh, and, like, surpass you in the hierarchy and become king after Finway. Uh, when he sees him before Finway, uh, he just, like, reassures himself uh, wrongly obviously but he reassures himself that uh, well there you go as I suspected Fingolfin wants to become king and here you see the difference between the two um, between um, Feanor and Fingolfin Fingolfin made no answer to all these threats and insults from Feanor and indeed, in just doing so, he showed his true character and wisdom. And you see the difference between the two characters and how they are written or how they are in the context of the story. Uh, one is just uh, really keen to getting to the judgment, while the other one is just patient and just ignores the insults that he just received and just takes his leave. But then there's like a whole sort of on onlookers who just saw the drama. Yeah, where did yeah, they yeah. Uh, it was witnessed by people and um, like always the uh, seed that was sowed by Melkor and uh, now is just like reaping the rewards and people are just seeing and then just trying, making their own interpretations of the things. And it's not a good side anyways, like, uh, in any form of um, kingdom hierarchy, um, if somebody is talking in front of the king or talking, talking back towards the son of the kings, uh, it just is perceived as just, like, uh, comes back to the weakness of the king. Now the unrest of Noldor was not indeed hidden from the Valar, 
but its seed had been sown in the dark, and therefore, since Fëanor first spoke openly against them, they judged that he was the mover of discontent, being eminent in self-will and arrogance. Though all the Noldor had become proud, and Manwë was grieved, but he watched and said no word. The Valar had brought had brought the Eldar to their land freely to dwell or to be debarred. And though they might judge departure to be folly, they might not restrain them from it. But now the deeds of Feanor could not be passed over, and the Valar were angered and dismayed. And he was summoned to appear before them at the gates of Valmar to answer for all his words and deeds. There also were summoned all others who had any part in this matter or any knowledge of it. And Fëanor, standing before Mandos in the Ring of Doom, was commanded to answer all that was asked of him. Then, at last, the root was laid before Loot, uh, the root was laid bare, and the malice of Melkor revealed, and straightway Tulkas left the council to lay hands upon him and bring him to judgment. But Fëanor was not held guiltless, for he it was that had broken the peace of Valar and drawn his sword upon his, his kinsmen. And Mando sent, said to him, Thou speakest of thraldom, if thraldom it be, thou canst not escape it. For Manwë is king of Arda, and not of Amman only. And this deed was unlawful, whether in Amman or not in Amman. Therefore this doom is now made, for twelve years thou shalt leave Tyrion, where this threat was uttered. In that time take counsel with thyself, and remember who and what thou art. But after that time, this matter shall be set in peace and held redressed, if others will release thee. Wow, speaking of <laughs> bloody... <laughs> no, that's, uh, there is a lot going on in this uh, passage. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So the gods, the Valar, up to this point, had been ignoring Fëanor, thinking that he will settle down and forget this mad crusade against his brother and the Valar. But um, when this doesn't happen and he, they, they, he keeps on re his rebellion, uh, quote-unquote rebellion, Finally, the patience of the gods, the Valar, runs out, and they summon, they summon the, the mother trucker, some bitch, to answer for all his words and deeds. Because, like, we have to make something clear here. The Valar are the guardians, the vice regents of Arda, of the whole of Arda, not just Earth, but pretty much the whole universe that exists in this. Uh, uh, in this fiction or in this um, sub-creation um, they are prophets and like gods and semi-gods and demigods and whatnot and they have ignored enough and now it's time to for them to when they discover that this is one person 
one more mortal slash immortal one being of creation which is lesser creation than the gods than themselves and the prophets uh, than the angels um, they uh, ask him to answer for his uh, crimes in uh, in a way um, they could have intervened sooner and the true cul culprit uh, obviously would have been identified sooner uh, but I'd say better late than never um, but finally everyone like you know maybe uh, they are exercising patience maybe they are just like taking it slow we are like mm, uh, gods here this is uh, a sub being uh, children of Iluvatar we have to be like patience with him um, we have to be patient with him um, but um, if they had intervened sooner, they would have discovered that it was Melkor who all along was the one who was just fooling them and, and the Noldor uh, as well. Uh, but uh, finally, everyone finds out that it was Melkor who had been sowing all these lies among the Noldor to corrupt them against the Valar. But, but Fëanor, but one thing um, is clear here, like Fëanor isn't without a guilt. He's not guiltless either. He had broken the sanctity of the blessed realm because um, in that realm nobody had drew, drawn a sword on his skin. But he was the first one to do that. So obviously he too needs to atone for this crime. And Mandos, as you know, is one of the Valar who knows everything. Knows the past, present, the future. He listened to that music of the Ainur at the beginning really well, and he remembers everything. He knows what is going to happen. He's the one who sentences him to 12 years of exile uh, from Tyrion, uh, just to reflect on his actions and atone and repent and learn from his mistakes and atone for his crimes. Um, another really great part of this section is Tulkas's reaction and I was not gonna ignore that at all. Um, Tulkas, if you remember, uh, for those of you listening, uh, following us on the podcast, remember Tulkas is the one who's a wrestler who likes to fight with his hands and as soon as Tulkas hears, uh, <laughs> okay, it was Melker behind all this shit. <laughs> Tulkar, uh, Tulkas just, um, he gets up and immediately goes to find Melkor, because uh, he's ever the wrestler and uh, really a badass uh, fighter, a UFC fighter is what I imagine when I think of Tulkas, uh, an ultimate fighter who just, okay, it, it was Melkor, I'm gonna go find him and kick his ass. Okay. You can take the next one. Or if you want to add any thoughts before that, Michi, go ahead. I'm okay. Okay. You take the next one. Then Fingolfin said, I will release my brother. But Feanor spoke no word in answer, standing silent before the Valar. Then he turned and left the council and departed from Valmar. With him into banishment went his seven sons, and northward in Valinor they made a strong place and treasury in hills. And there at Formenos a multitude of gems were laid in hoard, and weapons also, and the Silmarils were shut in a chamber of iron. Thither also came Finway the king, 
because of the love that he bore to Feanor, and Fingolfin ruled the Nord Noldor in Tyrion. Thus the lies of Melkor were made true in seeming, though Feanor by his own deeds had brought this thing to pass, and the bitterness that Melkor had sown endured, and lived still long afterwards between the sons of Fingolfin and Feanor. Oh, that is so true. Um, so tragic. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of this passage? What does it mean? Isn't this more foreshadowing for, like, the, the later the stories between the sons of Fingolfin and Fain? Yeah. Here's the seed of, of the initial insults. What do you think of Fingolfin? Like, what's your impression of him so far? Maybe just a bit too passive in the sense mm -hmm. of not... Like, the brothers don't speak as much to each other to sort of mend what Melkor has sown. They just seem to be like, mm -hmm. oh, it'll pass, they'll get over it. So, like, uh, this passage kind of follows the last one in the sense that uh, before we look at Fingolfin's action, um, the last line of the last passage was, if others will release thee. Uh, that's what Mandos is saying to Fëanor, that uh, you will do the sentence and whatnot, and after your sentence is complete, then we'll uh, reassemble uh, and, and try to readdress uh, uh, what you did. Uh, with the last uh, words are if others will will release thee. The other there mentioned is obviously uh, Fingolfin because he's the one who uh, against whom the injustice was done uh, in the action of uh, drawing the sword, right? So uh, Fingolfin is the other culprit, like who has this power to forgive or not forgive uh, Fëanor for this uh, uh, crime that he committed against him in uh, breaking the sanctity of the blessed realm in drawing a sword on him, being his brother and kin as well. So uh, again, Fingolfin here uh, is showing his t true character. Um, uh, after all that his brother did and said. He is uh, still forgiving him for all of that. Um, but look at the contrasting reaction between Fëanor uh, and Fingolfin. Afterward, like, this really amazing gesture, like, you drew the sword on him and, and broke all those rules, did all this bad thing, and he is still forgiving you without any, like, um, uh, conditions or anything, you're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I will release thee of any, like, if any, you did anything wrong to me, I release you from uh, that uh, um, burden uh, that I forgive you. And in the end, to contrast that, he doesn't even thank him. He doesn't acknowledge what Fingolfin just did for him and what he just said for him. He doesn't he says no word. He's just like yeah, whatever, fuck off. It's it's just ridiculous in in his like his arrogance and whatnot. Because um, remember, he's a spirit of fire. Um, he is some someone important. He is someone special for sure. Uh, through him, much greatness and much great work has been created um, and made. And he has greatness in him, and he's not 
he's not nothing he has power and some magic in him to make these amazing silmarils uh but he also is arrogant and just um really really proud and arrogant um so he um so fenor he accepts his exile from tyrian uh, his sons being ever so loyal to their father also go with him but look at um, look at that um it, we shouldn't be surprised here uh seeing the relationship of uh, Fe- uh Fenor and uh Fenve um the the da- daddy dearest also <laughs> leaves uh, his people and kingdom uh while he's at it and he just leaves uh, all that and goes uh, with Fenor um that's the kind of like unhealthy uh bond that he has with his son um that he leaves it all and just can't leave Fenor alone and he goes with him as well and what ends up happening is exactly uh what kind of started it in the first place uh Fenor feared that Fingolfin will usurp the king and take over the rule of Noldor and in the end it was his own deeds and actions that resulted in making it happen isn't that amazing like fingolfin never wanted it but mm-hmm. it's through his actions uh and deeds that it ended up being the story anyways <laughs> that fingolfin became the king i mean just wow Now Melkor, knowing that his devices had been revealed, hid himself and passed from place to place as a cloud in the hills, and Tulkas sought for him in vain. Then it seemed to the people of the Valinor that the light of the trees was dimmed, and the shadows of the all standing things grew longer and darker in that time. It is told that for a time Melkor was not seen again in Valinor nor was any rumor heard of him until suddenly he came to Foraminos and spoke with Fëanor before his doors friendship he feigned with cunning argument urging him to his former thought a fight from the trammels of the Valar and he said behold the truth of all that i have spoken and how thou art banished unjustly but if the heart of fëanor is yet free and bold as were his words in tyrian then i will aid him and bring him from bring him far from this narrow land for am i not a vala also yeah and more than those who sit in pride in valamar and i have ever been a friend to the noldor most skilled and most valiant of the people of arda um um melkor is kissing ass michi just think like after all of this like wouldn't he just be seemingly to be just so much of a brown noser, you know, right here. <laughs> yeah. Completely like 
just the words just I'm like, out of his mouth. How much Fianna, would you hate? Yeah, how much would you hate hate uh, Fianor as a character if he still believes all the shit that he just stole the Mel, the, that Melkor just stole? After him. like many moons of banishment, and then you're still gonna believe this guy comes. Ah, uh, yeah. So Melkor went into hiding, and Tulkas, <laughs> as you know, Tulkas wanted to kick some ass. Uh, was trying to find him everywhere. Uh, for a while, he was able to evade the Val Valar, but eventually, he goes to his last hope uh, to rekindle this malicious plan that he had. He goes to Fëanor. And he thinks that he has him all figured out, that he would just shame him a bit and tempt him again, and Fëanor would just uh, do his bidding again and wage his, uh, his war uh, against the Valar. But, and, well, and I gotta say, he's not wrong. It's a good plan. All the Valar are looking for him. He can't really evade them forever in Valinor, he he would have been caught and this was a strategic move on his part um, to go to the one person who still might be foolish enough to listen to him still and he says uh, all the right things to Fëanor to tempt him to just to stroke his ego and pride you know he's he has ego he's prideful he's proud and he just wants to like um just give him a nice <laughs> that sounds dirty i won't say it on a talking podcast but yeah just just give him <laughs> give stroke his ego really really well just trying to tempt fairnor okay one last time baby fairnor do something for me um, rebel one more time, wage the war that I want you to wage, uh, so that I can be saved. Uh, that was his plan. Like, if this were the movie, there would be some music in the background that would have, like, the violins that would just... Yeah, violins, like... one, uh, <laughs> character thinking pondering over, uh, looking into the, uh, broken window or something, just trying to think, should I take his word for, should I do it or not? <laughs> Should I listen to this uh, freaking god or not? Have you seen the TV show The Magicians? I read the books. I probably only seen one or two episodes of the show. I enjoyed the books more than I enjoyed the. Oh, um, I haven't read the books actually. But I am uh, watching the show. And, uh, like, holy crap, that's a, that's a good show. Uh, like well, that. it's a good book. I think that's probably oh, the really? Yeah, aspect. okay, the yeah, yeah, book. as always. Yeah, 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 as always. Books are always going to be better. Uh, but yeah, the, the, I like how they're just like, I don't know if they're changing. Are they changing? So if you have read the books, uh, like, are they changing much of the stuff from the books yeah. uh, to the shows? I think so, but I think it's probably because. I mean, we could get off onto this that topic once maybe we finish it. <laughs> but I think that magicians is is pretty dark content. Like there are oh. quite a bit of deaths and stuff like that. And yeah, there are pedophiles as well. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of like the sort of shady, you know, darker sexual content and et cetera, illusions and stuff like that. That I'm sure they could put on TV, but just to speeding up the storyline. Yeah, I'm not sure what else they've changed. I don't really watch the show that much. 
Oh, I've, I've only watched this film. I'm, I think I'm pretty much caught up on it. But, yeah, like, it had a kind of a Harry Potter vibe, and then, yeah, it just... Uh, you you see the difference. It 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 got dark. They have the uh, molesting children uh, author in there, and uh, uh, the graphic violence is there as well, like blood and whatnot. But yeah, I like that show a lot. Um, but I, uh, the way I kind of connect uh, um, that to this is like the god ex aspect of it. Like yeah, they have gods uh, in that show as well. And uh, yeah, we can think of the Valar as the go gods, and like Melkor will be, I don't know, the beast, like one of the beasts, <laughs> right? He's the beast, he's, he's the evil one. But, okay, let's get back to it. Now, uh, Fëanor's heart was still bitter at his humiliation before Mandos, and he looked at Melkor in silence pondering if indeed he might yet trust him, so far as to aid him in his fight. And Melkor, seeing that Fëanor wavered, and knowing that Silmarils held his heart in thrall, said at last, Here is a strong place, and well guarded, but think not that the Silmarils will lie safe in any treasury within the realm of the Valar. But his cunning overreached him. His words touched too deep, and evoke a fire more fierce than he designed. And Fëanor looked upon Melkor with eyes that burned through his fair semblance, and pierced the cloaks of his mind, perceiving there his fierce lust for the Silmarils. Then hate overcame Fëanor's fear, and he cursed Melkor, and bade him be gone, saying, Get thee gone from my gate, thou jail-crow of Mandos. And he shut the doors of his house in the face of the mightiest of all the dwellers in air. Finally, he's come to his senses. Finally, he has woken up. Wow. It's <laughs> just wow. <laughs> yeah, this wow, this is a good. Might be like say like just like a, a ten percent redeeming quality of Fëanor. I'd say that he at least had fire enough or had the mind of it, mind power to perceive the thoughts of Melkor. That is not easy. Like think Galadriel in Lord of the Rings. Like, none of um, the Aragorn and Legolas and what now were in front of her were able to perceive her mind or, like, penetrate her mind. Uh, it's a power that's really, really powerful. She was able to do that, if you remember, right? Because um, if you remember the Lord of the Rings story, she was able to perceive the mind of Boromir, see, like, what he desired, mind of Frodo and his doubts and Sam and his dedication and uh, and Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli and their uh, pureness. She was able to perceive it because this is the power that the Eldar have, that the elves have. Uh, to look into the minds of uh, things and Fëanor even using this power on one of the gods here is showing that he is the spirit of the fire he is all that we have been like told that he is he's the greatest of the, of the Eldar he is the greatest of the elves 
no doubt, terrible, bad decisions, ego, what not, that dim his uh, reputation, uh, but he is a strong, strong, powerful spirit. He's probably, but he's looking at someone who's probably more used to like milk or cloaking sort of for what he's really thinking, you know, yeah. or just acting a better part versus, you know, what Galadriel's looking at or people who aren't as well versed at guarding how they're, what they're thinking. So it's probably a bit more apparent for her when she sees people, you know, sort of thinking about what they desire. Yeah, 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 that's it. That is pretty much it. Yeah, uh, like Gladriel is not. Uh, although Gladriel will come into the story, I think. Yeah, I think he'll, she'll come into the story. Yeah. I thought she was mentioned once, but just as like. No, no, she'll, uh, she has a bigger part later, okay. if I am not remembering wrong. Uh, but the thing is, uh, just to have a little. Uh, off the top of my head, uh, Gladriel history. Uh, mm, did you know that Gladriel was not a character that Tolkien imagined until Lord of the Rings? So, just to profess it in the saying, Silmarillion is the first things he wrote. Gladriel is not in them. Then he starts writing The Hobbit. He gets the, the book deal, writes The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. becomes the famous children book of uh, that era in the 1930s uh, after The Hobbit is um, released and gets all this reception and becomes so uh, amazing popular uh, he uh, ri- uh, is asked or like well, actually he doesn't know. he goes to his publisher and says okay this is Silmarillion I want to publish this now and his publisher says, well, uh, no, you won't. Uh, how about you just write a sequel to The Hobbit? And uh, after the rejection from the publisher, like, I think his publisher sent him away, like, three times. Uh, he asked to publish The Silmarillion, all these stories that we re- we're reading now. And he was told, no, no, Silmarillion sucks, do not. And just go write a sequel to The Hobbit. That's a good story. You have a good thing going. Write a sequel to The Hobbit. He starts writing the sequel to The Hobbit. And and Gladriel is the pure creation of when he was writing a sequel to The Hobbit. Once he wrote Gladriel in the, in the Lord of the Rings. Then he secretly, or uh, secretly, but yeah. He's still privately writing these stories of the Silmarillion. And that's when Gladriel is uh, like retroactively inserted into the Silmarillion stories. So in the beginning, mm. she didn't exist, but only after her inception in the Lord of the Rings, in writing the sequel, Gladriel is invented, and then Gladriel is uh, reinserted or retroactively inserted into the stories of the Silmarillion. Mm. And she has like even like there's four different ta- kinds of Galadriel. <laughs> I shouldn't go into it because I'm only remembering it off the top of my head by listening to the lectures of uh, Corey Olson, uh, professor uh, Tolkien professor uh, in uh, one of the, in the history of the Middle Earth series where Christopher Tolkien posted all his father's notes of uh, writing the stories uh, in a chrono- chronological order. Um, uh, starting from his early teens uh, and all the way up till his death, 
and uh, there you see like four different versions of Gladriel and you see the progression of it when he first gets the, gets the concept of Gladriel, Gladriel he inserts into it she's not really that much of a big deal then on the second revision she becomes a bigger deal then on the third revision she becomes even a bigger deal then on the fourth one she's like yeah she she's the one who even like refused Fearnor and shit like that well, I mean, I have to say, in like all of the the writing and reading it as a child, I always just never thought Tolkien had the strongest female written character. Yeah, so yeah. And, I'm and, glad Galadriel yeah. got you know revised at this yeah. point. But yeah, you yeah. know, we can't retroactively sort of do anything. It was like a, quite a bit of time ago in in history, and women weren't really very strong characters. Yeah, that's a that's a popular <clears throat> criticism of uh, the the female heroes, but. Um, that's only because of maybe what got kind of mainstreamed and uh, wasn't maybe in the main uh, book of The Hobbit or the main book of The Lord of the Rings. Uh, but him, I think uh, maybe he was uh, changing with times. Um, maybe when he started early in his teens, that wasn't really anything that he needed to concern himself. Well, there are no trans people in the Lord of the Rings. We can't really blame the guy for not having any uh, trans people in in the Lord of the Rings. But I think uh, during the time, maybe maybe before his death. But yeah, if you read the whole uh, thing of it, he has always um, like at least a Silmarillion. Uh, not uh, foreshadowing or trying to spoil anything that's to come, but there are like some badass uh, female characters in the in in the Silmarillion, um, which were not really in the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit, for example. You only have like Galadriel, who is really epic and awesome, or uh, Eowyn or Arwen. Arwen, um, interesting fact. Um, have you read the Lord of the Rings books? Uh, Have you read them? The books, yes. Okay, so Arwen is not really present in the books at all. She's only in the appendices. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you gotta know, this dude loved writing, and they're only appendices because someone wouldn't allow him to <laughs> write her into the main story for publishing reasons or not. They didn't even publish the the whole book that he wrote, and they had to. They uh, they said we'll divide them into volumes because no nobody will read this large a book, so we're not gonna do that because he had it ready, but they had him uh, split it into three volumes: the Fellowship of the Ring, the Two Towers, and the and the Return of the King. But yeah, there's Zarwin, there is um, uh, Gladriel, and then there is, uh, um, uh, what's her name, Eowyn? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Eowyn. The, these are the three uh, female characters. I was always like whinging and complaining and crying. Yeah. And Eowyn, I was like, oh, I was like, she's so much stronger in the book and the movies. I was like, why did they cast this chick? She's always on the verge of crying. <laughs> I got so angry. I was I like, she's going to actually kill like Kill that. the witch king. Witch king who no yeah. man could kill. Like, none of them. I'm like, stop and just kill him. Like, <laughs> they had him, uh, yeah, they had her, like, doubt stuff. But in the book, she's, like, uh, she's carrying, hiding Mary. 
uh, disobeying the king, hiding Mary, trying to fight, trying to uh, going into the battle as a man, and and then like finally revealing herself to the witch king. Who, like you know, like the witch king when he breathes, like most of the men just lose all hope and drop their swords and run away, <laughs> screaming from the madness. And she stood up to the witch king. Uh, along with the uh, media doc, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting topic. Actually, maybe you know what? <clears throat> On um, in April, I am um, I am going to uh, a Tolkien seminar in Netherlands, uh, where uh, Corey Olsen will come as well uh, as a guest. And um, uh, they have asked me, like, like my friend Jana asked me uh, to uh, write a paper. Maybe I'll do uh, a paper on uh, on uh, uh, the women in uh, Tolkien lore. That'll be an interesting topic to uh, write a paper on. You should bring the iron necklace. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey, you know what happened to my the iron necklace? Bloody hell! So uh, okay, so I was uh, I was once a stupid kid, well, a stupid boy. Um, I fell in love with this girl, and um, she's the one um, I bought the iron necklace for. <laughs> like bloody hell! I think I even like saved money for like three months or something, got like 100 euros, and then I bought the necklace for her, and then I, I gave her the ne- that necklace, and well, we broke up, the bitch never returned the necklace. Well, as long as that would be the B word not in your paper, I was like, it's fine, but it would be a funny thing, like, this kind of started, anyway, <laughs> we have two more pages of the passages to read, so should we yeah, okay. round back around? Um, okay, did I, I didn't, okay. So, Feanor is now pondering if he should trust Melkor. Um, obviously he has no love for the Valar. That is clear by now, like, he's not into the gods at all. He's like, yeah, I, I don't care. Uh, after they exiled him and Melkor is saying all the right things, if Melkor... If Melkor had just perhaps kept his mouth shut and just said what he said in the beginning and just let it try to affect Feanor and let it rest in his mind and try to uh, mess with him, uh, he he maybe he would have been successful uh, and maybe Feanor would have trusted him. Uh, but the moment he mentioned the Silmarils, it was all over. You gotta know, he, Feanor's love for the Silmarils is just like un, unlike anything we can imagine. He created them. He created, just to emphasize the point, he created something that even the Valar cannot create or can think how they were created. They were so pure, such a pure energy. They have a light of their own. And they um, they emphasize or enhance light that that's around them. They are just something really, really. Uh, I don't know how to say it in this like something really, really, um, really, really. What's the word, Michi? 
like original something really really hmm I really can't think of the words the words have escaped me now but yeah there's something really really pure energy in the sense that no the, even the gods don't know how they were made there was something some intervention from the from Eru maybe from God himself uh from Iluvatar but they, 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 he was able to create something. But the, so the moment Melkor mentions them, it's all over. The fire in the spirit of fire. He is the spirit of fire. So the fire that he had inside him awoke at the mention of the, his beloved Silmarils. And here again we see uh, just some power inside these Silmarils that even their mere name kindled some kind of fire in Fëanor, giving him some kind of power that he uh, was able to see into the mind of a literal god. It's one of the gods. He was able to l penetrate his lies and just look into the mind of a god. Remember the first time Melkor saw the Silmarils? He wanted them more than anything he has ever wanted before. Uh, well, Fëanor perceived that lust and cursed Melkor and rejected him. So, so we can say, at least, this, at this point in the story, Fëanor is not a complete moron after all. Can we agree on that, Michi? <laughs> of course. Yes, now when it comes to the Silmarils, he's like, alright, I get you, I smelled you now. Better late than never. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> okay, you take the next one. Then Melkor departed in shame, for he was himself in peril, and he saw not his time yet for revenge. But his heart was black with anger, and Finway was filled with great fear, and in haste he sent messengers to Manwe in Valmar. Now the Valar were sitting in council before their gates, fearing the lengthening of the shadows, when the messengers came from Fomenos. At once, Orome and Tulka sprang up, but even as they set out in pursuit, messengers came from Eldamar, telling them Melkor had fled through the Calakiria, and from the hill of Tuna the elves had seen him pass in wrath as a thundercloud. And they said that thence he had turned northward, for the Teleri in Alquilonde had seen his shadow going by their haven towards Araman. Thus Melkor departed from Valinor, and for a while the two trees shone again unshadowed, and the land was filled with light. But the Valar sought in vain for tidings of their enemy, and as a cloud far off that looms ever higher, borne upon a slow, cold wind, a doubt now marred the joy of all the dwellers in Amman, dreading they knew not what evil that yet might come. Oh man, that's such beautiful writing. Like, I love that. Like what? They didn't realize that this was happening before. So they yeah. lived in total bliss. Uh -huh. Didn't like think about it. And now I'm like, he's always been there. He's just been in work. With... But now you're just aware of it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, the last hope of Melkor failed him. He was in really, really true danger now. As soon as the Valar heard about his whereabouts, 
um, they were ready to pursue him. He would have been caught if he stayed there any longer or tried convincing other Noldor to rebel. Uh, Fionnur was his last hope, uh, no doubt about that. He, that was all he put all his chips on, was on Fionnur to try and convince him. But he fucked that up by mentioning the Silmarils. And he had no other option now than to just retreat again and go into hiding in Middle-earth. Um, waiting for his next chance to take his revenge against the Valar and, and, and against the elves. It was time for just another uh, strategic retreat for him. Again, uh, we see an example of uh, evil corrupting everything around it. Um, we can see that um, about the light of the two trees being dimmed um, when Milker was there um, the light of the two trees uh, got dimmed um, that's how evil works in the Tolkien universe is uh, where evil is just things decay things become dull and it just becomes a barren land and now that he was gone, the light of the two trees uh, again, once again, shone bright and beautiful. Because uh, that evil existence that was there uh, was away from it. Okay, think that will close the chapter 7. Of our Silmarillion Book Club. I'm kind of sad. I, I, I wanted to go longer, Samichi. What about you? Well, we have to get to the, to the next chapter, but this is like the dip back into. Because we haven't done this since December, right? So. Yeah, it's been a while. How am I ever going to finish the Silmarillion on my own? <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I'm, I'm the only one who's going to push you to finish it, and you're not going to read this on here. I started to read further in, and then I just thought, uh, I don't know how this connects with the rest Wait, of it. Wait, we didn't even finish the chapter 7? Bloody hell. I did. I finished up in the like, chapter Yeah, you finished it, but like, I guess I stopped earlier for some reason. Wait, where did I stop? Um... But then I was like, if I get too far ahead, I get confused. So I was like, if I, if I'm reading up to currently whatever it is we're going to discuss, then it will stay fresher in my mind as we are going through it. Okay, I think I, I think I'm still on the bloody chapter seven. Wait, wait, no. Uh, let me see. I'm looking at it. I'm trying to look at it. Um, where did I end this? But I did download Doom Patrol, so I will watch it when I'm on my way. I saved uh, it for I think I watched it. To, I'm flying to California, and I'm going to save it. Because I've been looking forward to it. It's a really good... Doom Patrol was always a very good comic book storyline. So, uh -huh. um, and it got good reviews one, yeah. on, like, on some of the sites that have reviewed that TV show. So I think it's better than Teen Titans or whatever it's been played off. It's been. I think it was alluded yeah. to from Teen yeah, Titans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, some of the characters did appear in the Teen Titans uh, show. 
Um, yeah, some of the characters uh, did appear there. The, the the robot guy appeared and the uh, girl who has yeah. her face all melting. She appeared yeah. in the Teen Titans as well. Um, well, actually, I... Well, yeah, this is a long chapter, the chapter 7. I think we're not going to be in the chapter 8. Um... Cylinders and the unrest of the Noldor. Okay. Let's see. But I thought chapter 8 was relatively short in comparison, so when we move on to chapter 8, it's not going to be as, you know, it's, I thought yeah. chapter 7, more things happen. Yeah, chapter 7, more things I'm just trying to see where I ended it. Did I finish it or not? Unless um, because we did the second passage. You did the PDF of the second passage, part of chapter... Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah. Next uh, week is going to be chapter 8. Um, actually, we can, if we want, we can... Maybe... What's the time here? Uh, we can do f half of it. But you don't have the notes, right? Mm, let me see. Hold up. I think I can send you. Yeah, I just checked. I don't think the game's going to be ready, but we'll see. They've got 10 minutes to prove us wrong. Oh, the game is going to be ready. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> if it's not working now, I'm not sure that the 10 minutes is going to really be a great. I sent you the ebook. That should in theory work. I have the book. Itself, oh, yeah, just, uh, was, yeah, just yeah. go to chapter 8 then. That should work. But I wasn't sure which passages you wanted to read from. Yeah, let's see. I'm thinking I'm just to wing it. Okay. <clears throat> I'll I'll do the first passage. Uh the first paragraph. When Manwe heard of the ways that Melkor had taken, it seemed plain to him that he purposed to escape to his old strongholds in the north of Middle earth, and Orome and Tulkas went with all speed northward, seeking to overtake him if they might but they found no trace or rumor of him beyond the shores of the Teleri. In the unpeopled waste that drew near to the ice, therefore the watch was redoubled along the northern fences of Amman, but not to purpose, not to no purpose, for ever, for ere ever the pursuers set out Melkor had turned back 
and in secrecy passed away far to the south, for he was yet as one of the valor and could change his form or walk unclad, as could his brethren, though that power he was soon to lose forever. So, <clears throat> Manwe, the king of uh, Amman, king of Arda, actually, the whole of the world, universe, uh, heard the ways that Malkor had taken to escape, and he uh, wanted, he, he thought that he'll probably maybe head towards the strongholds of uh, Angband and uh, uh, Tangrodrim that he had before, um, so he sent well Tolkas and 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 Orome, the hunter and the and the fighter, uh, went to, to northward trying to see if they can find him, but he was not there. Um, he went north first, but then eluded or deceived them, and instead came down south, uh, and went as south as he could. Um by just changing forms and stuff like that. You take the next one. Thus unseen he came at last to the dark region of Avathar. That narrow land lay south of the bay of Eldamar, beneath the eastern feet of the Pelori, and its long and mournful shores stretched away into the south, lightless and unexplored. There, beneath the sheer walls of the mountains and the cold, dark sea, the shadows were deepest and thickest in the world. And there, in Avathar, secret and unknown, Ungoliant had made her abode. The Eldar knew not whence she came, but some have said that in ages long before, she descended from the darkness that lies about Arda. When Melkor first looked down in envy upon the kingdom of Manwë and that in the beginning she was one of those that he corrupted to his service. But she had disowned her master, desiring to be mistress of her own lust, taking all things to herself to feed her emptiness. And she fled to the south, escaping the assault of the Valar and the hunters of Arome, where their vigilance had ever been to the north, and the south was long unheeded. Thence she had crept towards the light of the blessed realm, for she hungered for light and hated it. Oh wow, here comes uh, the first mention of uh, Angoliant. Angoliant, oh my goodness, Angoliant. You know, my, my spider, and my first spider that I made in the Lord of the Rings Online was called Angoliant. So, he... He deceived the the he he trail. He's a good one at escaping it. He first went north, um, gave everybody the illusion that he's he was going to return to Middle Middle Earth with his um uh, in his uh, lost uh, kingdoms, lost uh, uh, strongholds of uh, Angband or uh, Tangrodrim. Uh, but he uh, came south uh, instead. Went deep south where. The Valar pretty much were not really uh, having any watch or having any interest. Um, and there um, he uh, eventually, um, he again meets Angoliant. So uh, what's Angoliant? Who's Angoliant? Well, my theory is, um, 
Think, I think it's correct uh, in the sense that uh, Angolian is one of the Mayar, I believe. Um, mm. She is uh, one of the uh, corrupted spirits that in the beginning, you know, when Melkor called out, uh, a bunch of uh, Mayar joined him. That's what the Balrogs are or the dragons are. Um, and she is one of uh, those beings. Uh, a being um, who takes up the form of a spider, but is a Vala, is a Mayar, and uh, un he was able to bend her uh, into uh, under his will and maybe fight, use her uh, to fight against the Valar uh, in the first battle. Uh, but um, really interesting thing that maybe uh, something to keep in mind because um, uh, it will come into play uh, later is uh, she uh, had disowned her master. That's a really, really uh, important line. Um, uh, Manwe had her uh, under uh, her his command, uh, but when he went to do his thing or got captured and whatnot, uh, she had disowned her master. So Manwe is not the master of... Uh, uh, oh, sorry, not Manwe. Sorry. Uh, Melkor is not the master of um, of Angolian anymore, because uh, she desired to be a mistress of her own lust. She had an agenda of her own. She had a desire of her own. She had needs of her own. Um, she is a creature who hates light. She hungered to just like make uh, absorb all light and make into something that's not light. Um, she's darkness, darkness personified. She is um, really, really powerful being. Uh, left ignored by the Valor and everything down there in the south regions uh, of um, in Avatar, and there she grew really, really strong, having all that power of darkness within her. And she does not have any master right now. And now is when Melkor uh, finds her. In a ravine she lived, and took shape as a spider of monstrous form, weaving her black webs in a cleft of the mountains. There she sucked up all the light that she could find, and spun it forth again in dark nets of strangling gloom, until no light more could come to her abode, and she was famished. Now Melkor came to Avatar and sought her out, and he put on again the form that he had worn as the tyrant of Utumnu, a dark lord, tall and terrible. In that form he remained ever after, there in the black shadows beyond the sight even of Manuwe, in his highest halls. Melkor with Angolian plotted his revenge, but when Angolian understood the purpose of Melkor, she was torn between lust and great fear, for she was loath to dare the perils of a man and the power of the dreadful lords, and she would not stir from her hiding. Therefore Melkor said to her, Do as I bid, and if thou hunger still, when all is done, then I will give thee whatsoever thy lust may demand. Yeah, with both hands. Lightly he made this vow, 
as he ever did, he need he laughed in his heart. Thus did the great thief set his lure for the lesser. So the first passage pretty much describes uh, where she lived. She takes up a form of a monstrous spider, um, weaving his webs um, and that, and she sucks light. She just like loves sucking light uh, wherever she can find it, and just turns into darkness and gloom. Um, so Melkor. Um, about the form of Melkor here, so he's a Valar, he can take up different forms. Um, uh, he can guise himself in whichever forms he sees fit. Uh, but uh, that power that he had is slowly diminishing. Because uh, that power maybe came from goodness in him, the godness in him, from Iluvatar maybe. And as he went away from the path of Iluvatar, from light, it, he lost that power. Remember, he cannot create anything like other Valar can create, like or uh, like Aule created, or like um, uh, Yavanna created the ants, or uh, um, Manwe created the uh, the eagles, um, and Aule created the dwarves. He cannot create anything on his own. That's one of the things happened in the beginning when he went away from the path of light, away from uh, the guidance of Iluvatar. And this is another thing that happened. So he takes up this form of a real evil giant dark lord and he loses the ability to ever change back to anything else ever again when he does that at this moment. Uh, so he, along with Angoliant, um, being his old ally in the beginning, um, plot this revenge on uh, on on Valar. He was like he was able to convince her, um, just do as I say, and you will have all that you desire. You can have all the light you want to suck and turn into turn it into something uh, for yourself. So just do this for me and you will have everything you ever desired. Obviously, he is a liar, he's a cheat, he's a fraud. He made this promise just for for the heck of it. Just to convince her that just uh, do as I say and it'll be cool. And I don't think she believed him, uh, but she played along with him. With it. You're like, yeah, okay, let's do it. Well, now that she was found, it's like, what else could she do? Say no, and then, yeah, I don't know what else she could have done. Yeah. Uh, um. Oh, we'll we'll know what she can if she can do. But yeah, for the moment, she's like she's playing along. But just to emphasize it, as the passage even um, hence, uh, Angolian understood the purpose of Melkor. Uh, that passage, uh, that line should be in, in the mind uh, a bit. Like she's not uh, like a like a Balrog, for example, who who doesn't have much critical thinking. 
see in uh, spending all this time away from um, uh, Melkor when he was captured and whatnot. She came down south, developed her own needs and whatnot, and maybe a uh, uh, mind as well with um, some critical thinking. And now she understood uh, while he was uh, Melkor was selling her. Uh, selling her his uh, plot, uh, she understood the purpose of it. Okay, you can take the next one, and maybe after that we can call it. A cloak of darkness you wove about them when Melkor and Nguliant set forth. An unlight, in which things seemed to be no more, and which eyes could not pierce, for it was void. Then slowly she wrought her webs, Rope by rope from cleft to cleft, from jutting rock to pinnacle of stone, ever climbing upwards, crawling and clinging, until at last she reached the very summit of Hayar Mentir, the highest mountain in that region of the world, far south of Great Tanakutal. There the Valar were not vigilant, for west of the Pelori was an empty land in twilight, and eastward the mountains looked out, save for forgotten Avatar, only upon the dim waters of the pathless sea. I do think that that passage is written quite beautifully. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty cool. On another note, Twitter has had an update, and they're extending their downtime to 2 a.m. Friday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man! Wow. Well, I have my day off tomorrow. Bloody hell! What the fuck am I gonna? I think I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna download uh, Fortnite and and kill people, or get killed by people. Get ki killed by twelve-year-old assholes. Um, wow. Have you pl played Fortnite? No, I don't really like shooter games, so I'm oh, very good at them and. <laughs> Oh, I'm not good at them <laughs> at all. Every time I play them, then after like losing five times in a row, I'm like, I'm going to play GTA or something. <laughs> uh, I wish Age of Empires Online still worked. That, that was a fun game. But okay, so she wove um about them uh cloud and uh, a word here that is so cool love it the word unlight because she is darkness personified she takes light and and turns into turns turns it into unlight so that's like nothingness like a black hole uh, and she waves her webs, and Melkor and her uh, are on their way towards uh, the blessed realm, uh, hiding in the mountains and uh, crawling from cliff to cliff. And because um, that area is pretty much or was pretty much ignored by the Valar, they were like, yeah, that's just nothing there. So just let worry about the um, towards uh, looking towards the mountains in Pelori, go going towards Seniquetil and looking all out towards uh, Middle Earth and that it, and ignoring everything that was in the south south. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wait, where did you end the message?
Um, I ended it upon the dim waters of the pathless sea. Okay. But now upon the mountain top, dark and goliantly, and she made a ladder of woven ropes, and cast it down, and Melkor climbed upon it, and came to that high place, and stood beside her, looking down upon the guarded realm. Below them lay the woods of Rome, and westward shimmered the fields and pastures of Yavanna, gold beneath the tall wheat of gods. Bat milk. Melkor looked north and saw afar the shining plain and the silver domes of Valmar gleaming in the mingling of the lights of Tilperion and Laurelin. Then Melkor laughed aloud and leapt swiftly down the long western slopes, and Engoliant was at his side, and her darkness covered them. Wow. Uh, well, uh, they keep going uh, north and trying to uh, arrive in the Blessed Realm and they finally arrive there and look at the uh, woods of Rome and pastures of Ivana and all the Blessed Realm is beneath their feet and they, uh, they look at the light of the two trees, Tilperion and Laurelin and this is Melkor's plan the dude wants to destroy the two trees. This is his ultimate revenge. Because remember, the Valar... Well, the trees were a really, really unique creation of the Valar. And it's one of those things that they are not able to create again. Maybe it was just a one-off. That the power that Iluvatar gave them. That they were able to make the uh, the two trees and make them in that, and uh, it's something unique. And if get if it gets destroyed, they will not be able to make it ever again. Much like the Silmarils of Feanor. And here we end our session for uh, tonight. Good one. Liked it. I, I didn't even make any notes for this last few fest. Just, just, just went on. Um, it was cool, kind of. I do like uh, noting, though. Uh, like m uh, making notes, kind of helps me uh, have the things that I want to mention. I have some thoughts on on that, but this uh, just winking it kind of uh, is nice as well. But it was good, and this concludes the session, and next week uh, is going to be continuing uh, chapter 8, which uh, by the name of it, you should already know that it's uh, of the darkening of Valinor, so uh, bad things are going to happen, uh, sadly, but it's the Silmarillion, so bad things are always going to happen. Really, um, there's a. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm sorry. It's not a happy tale. There are some happy moments in it, but it's um, without spoiling too much. It's one of the saddest, uh, uh, maybe overall book uh, people might read. Has a lot of tragedy in it, and. Uh, well, now we are on the path of it, so on the Quintus Silverillion, chapter 8 continued 
next time I shouldn't say next week because um, I don't know when we can commit again or uh, but it'll yeah maybe I don't know well Loto will be down for probably some time yeah. so so maybe I tomorrow we'll have a, yeah maybe, yeah maybe tomorrow when we are bored maybe tomorrow we'll have a next session again uh, all those uh, 15 people who downloaded us on Anchor Podcast. <laughs> yeah, we have to have 15 downloads on each podcast that we made for so far. <laughs> on on Anchor Podcast. Well, you know, Anchor Podcast was uh, bought off by Spotify. I got the mail. That's all I know. I got the way. So you know, Ali, uh, you had the Anchor podcast account. Well, good news. Anchor is being bought uh, by Spotify. I'm like, great. Now I'll be on Spotify. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm fine with it. Put me on Spotify. Uh, but um, you can uh, catch uh, us and our podcast on YouTube along with all the other videos of the gaming and whatnot um, on uh, just uh, go to youtube.com slash dgenxle see I said it I don't often say it it's dgenxle it's like degeneration x um, and uh, on twitch um, you can tweet at me although uh, oh, not on Twitch. You can do. It. I think you can watch it on Twitch. You are watching it on Twitch. All that three people, uh, and um, you can tweet it. Tweet at me on uh, Twitter. Um, how many followers do I have on Twitter, Michi? How many followers do you have on Twitter? Um, I personally don't have that large an account. Uh, I've worked for other people and had over two million on those accounts, but that doesn't count. So I'm a person. Yeah, personal account. Oh my goodness, I had more followers than I thought I did. I have 702 followers on Twitter. (laughs) They might be just bloggers. Uh, But yeah, you can follow uh, me on uh, on Twitch or Twitter, and uh, just for the podcast. Um, anywhere, iTunes, Android, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, any podcast you can think of, just type Estelpod and it will come up. And if you don't like the Estelpod name, uh, then um, feel free to tweet at me a better name. <laughs> and, and, and I will think about the changing name, right, Michi? Sure. Yeah. If you don't like it, you just tweet that, and uh, if you have a better name in mind. Um, but the yeah, still bot is all I got at the moment. Uh, and for the feedback, uh, write you can write the email on uh, legendwriterx at uh, gmail dot com if you want, or just uh, maybe write anything on uh, Twitter or comments in the YouTube, and that will be. Um, acknowledge as well uh, until next time um, take care and Godspeed say bye Michi bye ciao